you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to be looking at this passage today. And uh, one of my favorite cartoons, usually around this time, always comes out. It's from uh, the cartoon comic BC. I don't know if he's done much at all. Do we have that up? It's this one. I hate the term Good Friday. Why? My Lord was hanged on a tree that day. Well, if you were going to be hanged on a tree that day and he volunteered to take your place, how would you feel? Good. Have a nice day. <laughs> what is your greatest joy? What, what makes you deeply content and full and satisfied in life? Our culture today is so busy and noisy and distracted and disjointed and discontent. And people are on the edge all the time. Longing for rest, hoping for, you know, I, I saw, I think it was on a mug, it was something to the effect of, after Sunday, there's only five more days until the next, you know, we got to get through, yay, we got, we got through those five days and we're living for the weekend or we're living for the vacation. And we kind of don't like Monday to Friday too much. We long for rest, for stability and security and we just can't find it. Our hearts are restless looking for something. We instinctively know that our pace of life and our discontent are not good, but we can't seem to find what we're missing. 1988, Van Halen sang, everybody's looking for something, something to fill in the holes. We think a lot, but don't talk much about it till things get out of control. How do I know when it's love? I can't tell you, but it'll last forever. How do I know if it's love? It's just something you feel. Good Friday is good news because we actually have an answer. I can tell you, and it does last forever. And it does fill in the holes. Romans chapter 5, 1 to 11. Let's stand together as I read this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in, the, in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Most Good Fridays, we tend to talk about the reality of the crucifixion. But today I want us to ponder some results of the crucifixion. John Stott in his Romans commentary said this, the paragraph consists of a series of affirmations and contains not even one exhortation. No commands. It's all about what God has done and is doing and will do. And that's why Good Friday is good. It's about what God has done. Look again at the first two verses of our passage. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, past tense, justified, the legal term, we've been declared not guilty. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Present tense, continuous, ongoing, relational peace. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We have obtained access, perfect tense, completed action with ongoing results. It's done. It is finished. We have access every day, all the time, 24-7, into this grace in which we now right now stand. His grace, his mercy, his favor, favor. And because of all that, we rejoice, present tense, continuous action, rejoicing always in hope of the glory of God. This is the central thought that's going to, we're going to develop three times, Paul says, we rejoice, we rejoice, we rejoice. Because of what God has done, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. First one. Because of Jesus Christ, we have a place to stand. We have access to grace. We have peace with God. We're declared righteous by faith. Therefore, we rejoice continually, boasting, making much of the hope we have, the glory of God. We hope for something that's not usually, uh, it's usually something, when, when you hope for something, you hope. You know, you're, you're hoping that the weather's going to be nice today, but you wake up and it's snowing. <laughs> you, you hope that your vehicle lasts for just a little while longer and that it's not going to cost too much more to fix it again. You, you hope that your expenses won't go up. You hope your kids turn out all right. We hope it won't flood this spring. What does it mean that we rejoice continually in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 8.24, Paul defines hope for us. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
We rejoice now, present tense, continually in the hope and the expectation, the, the, the longing for the glory of God that we cannot yet see. And Paul has declared what we do have, but the glory of God is yet to be fully revealed, fully experienced, but it is our greatest hope, it is our greatest rejoicing. This is the hope that eclipses all other hopes, all other longings, all other desires to behold the glory of God. And Paul is declaring that what we have right now in Christ, what we will have when God's full glory is revealed in Christ and comes again. This is what he is saying. We rejoice in what God has done and what he will do and the glory we will experience when we see him. And he's already told us we've fallen short of the glory of God. Now he's saying that our hope is in the glory of God. See, falling short of the glory of God is our problem, but through Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross, now we have the hope to experience the glory of God restored in us and throughout all creation, Romans 8. In and through faith in Jesus Christ, our hope, our eager expectation, our deepest longings will be fulfilled when the glory of God is fully experienced. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, slow down for a moment and read that again. What has shone in our hearts? His light or himself? For God, and kind of leave out what's in between the commas here, for God has shone in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. At the core of our being, he has given us himself that we would know, experience, and taste and see the glory of God in the person, in the presence of Jesus Christ himself. This is the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in this hope of the glory of God, secured for us through Jesus Christ. So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but then he says something startling right after it. Not only this, but we rejoice also in our sufferings. Again, continual action of rejoicing in the midst of trials. Look again at verses 3 and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. There is a certainty in our hope, the hope of the glory of God. So Paul encourages us to endure under trial and in fact rejoice in the struggles we face. Why? Isn't God supposed to deliver me from all the struggles and the problems and the pains of life? 
But follow his train of thought. He states that our greatest hope is in God's glory. Therefore, we can endure in the trials because the struggle deepens our hope. And again, what is our greatest hope? The glory of God. Now, why is that comforting in trials and the struggles and the pains of life? Because the pain of life reveals our deeper need, our deeper desire for God's glory to be revealed in us and through us and for us. The trials and struggles of life, when we engage in them in a Christ-centered manner, reveal to our hearts and our minds and our emotions the inability of ourselves or our world to fulfill what we most desperately long for and cry for. You see, we sometimes look at this progression that Paul provides. Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and we kind of cut it off at that point, and we say, oh, God's just developing your character. And we use it kind of as a self-improvement, I'm becoming a better person through this process kind of thing. However, if the final goal is the development and the deepening of hope, and we have defined hope as Paul does, that it's for the glory of God, then there's something deeper happening here. Because our greatest hope is not that our lives get better, but that God's glory would be experienced deeper. The trials and struggles of our lives reveal that our hunger is not deep enough for God and his glory, and our thirst is not desperate enough. We want simple solutions to our problems, quick fixes, but the deeper, more desperate need is for God's glory to be experienced. Because ultimately, the suffering leads to endurance and endurance character and character hope and hope that does not put us to shame disappoint us or let us down because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Trials and struggles chip away at our lesser hopes and dreams of a great great life now and opens up for us the hunger and the hope of the, the real life that God will bring as we're trying to make this life be so satisfying and yet life in a fallen world will never satisfy the deepest hungers of our souls. The only hope that will satisfy our hearts fully is the love of God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he gives to us. Our greatest hope is secure because the glory of God will be revealed in all its fullness And right now we experience the greater love of God for us and his presence with us and the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But what does this have to do with the crucifixion of Jesus on Good Friday? That's where Paul goes next. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can rejoice in our sufferings because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ on Good Friday. And that's Paul's next point. We cannot have the hope of God's glory and we are left hopeless in our afflictions in life apart from Jesus Christ on the cross. Verse six. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Alternate translation for for verse six, the first half of it. Yet for Christ, we were powerless. 
apart from Christ, but for Christ, we are powerless. Apart from God's reconciling, justifying work through Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, not only are we weak and powerless, we're also ungodly. We were still weak. Christ died for the ungodly. Precisely because of the reality of our human condition of powerlessness, of weakness, of ungodliness, Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a sinful life, and died on the cross in our place. At the right time, at God's appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Then in verse 7, Paul explores two long-shot scenarios in which a person might possibly maybe be willing to stand in the gap and die for somebody else. But these are long-shot things, and no one at all in the Jewish or the Greco-Roman world at that time would ever think about laying their, their lives down for an enemy somebody that's ungodly, somebody that's a sinner, somebody that's weak. It was completely unthinkable, and yet this is exactly what Jesus does on Good Friday. Upends everything. Turns it inside out and upside down. Well, but God shows his love. Remember, his love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God has revealed, demonstrated, shown his love for us in this, while we were yet enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Notice too that this is really the first time in the book of Romans, if you went and you read Romans 1 to 4, he uses some of it right at the very beginning. But it's, this is really the first point at which Paul starts talking in the first person, plural. We, us, our. Everything else up to this point has been third person. It's kind of been theoretical. It's been doctrinal. Now he brings it home. This is for us. This is where we live we were helpless. Paul's including himself. We were ungodly. We were still sinners. We were enemies of God. We're all included in this. You, me, everyone here today. While we were all these things, Jesus dies for us. We have been declared righteous, justified, past tense, completed action in the past. By his blood, we have been reconciled to God, present tense, completed action, ongoing results through his death. And because of God's justifying and reconciling work for us, we will be saved, future tense, made whole, set free from the ravages of sin and death. That's yet to come. And this is why Good Friday is so good. Look down to verse 11. I've kind of done my own translation. It's a little awkward, but I wanted to get the word order and some of the emphasis here. Not only this, but also we are continually rejoicing in God through the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now the reconciliation we have received. We continually rejoice in God. 
Again, there's no command to rejoice. It's a statement of what is. It's a present, active, indicative verb. It's not a command. It's not something we're supposed to do. It's something Paul's saying, we're just doing this all the time. This is our state of being. First, Paul calls us, he says, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're rejoicing in our suffering and we're rejoicing in God himself. Not just the good things he does for us, but the reality of we get to be with him and have relationship with him. We rejoice in God, not just his gifts. Again, no command to rejoice. It's a statement of what is. We rejoice continually in God himself. Our greatest joy is to cling to, to rejoice in, to be in relationship with God. The Westminster Larger Confession, first question, what is the chief end of man? The answer is man's chiefest and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. Fully to enjoy him. Not just a good life here. Not just, you know, great finances, lovely family, nice house, you know, not too many moles in my yard. Oh God, could you take the moles away? But to enjoy him regardless of the circumstances. To glory in him, to have our hopes so taken up with his glory and his person that, that regardless of what's going on around us, we can find this hope in the glory of God. Rejoicing in our sufferings, knowing that, that it, it's birthing in us a desire for the greater hope of being with God and knowing him walking with him and knowing his depth of love, this suffering, this hope that does not put us to shame, that doesn't disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts, a love that outloves any other love through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us to fully enjoy him. But our experience of this beautiful reality and this constant rejoicing is contingent on one thing. We need to go back to verse one. Therefore, since we have been, past tense, justified by faith. By faith. That's really the con condition. Settled trust in God himself and what he has done for us. Go back a few verses into chapter four, and this is what we read, 22 to 25. This is why his, and he's talking about Abraham, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted, righteousness, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
It all connects. There's no command, there's no exhortation in this passage, but there is a response that is necessary for the affirmations to be true in our lives. We must believe, have faith, and trust God. We must confess our sins and turn our lives, our weaknesses, our ungodliness, our sinfulness, our rebellion, our hostility over to him. We must turn away from doing life on our terms and surrender to Jesus Christ, the Lord. We need to come to the place where we stop trying to make life work for us and release our expectations and hopes into his care. And in that place, we will find our hopes transformed, our sufferings lead to hope, and the love of God will fill us and our hopes will not be disappointed because our hope will be focused not on our shallow here and now stuff, but in the glory of God himself. A joy that is filled by his presence with us. It doesn't mean life gets easy and that our dreams come true. It means that we now get to walk with God and find in him our greater joy, even when life is hard. Because of Good Friday, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. We have access to his grace always. We can rejoice in the hope of God's glory. We rejoice in our sufferings. We have a hope that is secure because God's love has been poured out by the Holy Spirit into our hearts. We have now been justified. We have now been reconciled. We will be saved, set free, made whole, and restored all through Jesus Christ our Lord, who gave himself who died for us because he loves us and longs for us to come to him and to be with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Our greatest joy our deepest contentment comes from the hope of the glory of God through Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we gather today to celebrate and to remember what you have done for us on the cross, We dare not think of it as a historical event that just happens and then we can get on with our lives. But it changes everything about our lives. That we can be justified, declared not guilty of sin. That's a great forensic term, but then there is this other thing, reconciled to God. No longer enemies, no longer hostile, but back in the family. And so while there is that great justification, that forensic legal declaration not guilty, there is also the reconciliation and the welcome home that you offer every one of us. Lord, may we come to you just in simple faith. 
And as we read the prayer this morning, that we would just cast ourselves at your footstool. That we would be like the, 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 the man that Jesus observed, the tax collector who came and just said, oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And goes home justified. Lord, that we would come back to you and, and wel be welcomed back, reconciled to you as the prodigal son with his father. For you will, when you see us coming in the distance, jump up and run. Run to us and welcome us and embrace us and celebrate the fact that we came home. So Lord, may we all today remember that our rejoicing in you, the hope of your glory, even in the sufferings we face, pushes us towards the fact that we desperately need you in all of our lives, in every moment, for every circumstance we're facing. Help us to rest in you and to rejoice in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.